Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. So there's one thing that our closest relationships all have in common. The relationships that we, that we are closest to, the people we're closest to, they all have the same thing in conflict. You know what it is? Conflict. Would you agree with that? Our closest relationships, the one thing they all have in common is conflict. Type in the phrase, how to fight fair in a relationship, and Google will spit out 210 million results. Type in how to fight fair in a marriage, and it will spit out 378 million results there. Conflict is inevitable. The question is, where does it come from? What causes it? What causes the fights? It's a question that James asked. We're going to be in James chapter 4 today, and James asked that question. What causes fights and quarrels among us? And I got to tell you, I know the answer. It's simple. What causes it? Them. What causes the fights and the quarrels? It's not me. It's you. It's them. If somebody comes to me and they're married, and I ask them, hey, what causes all the fights and quarrels in your relationship? If they're private, if it's just one-on-one, they'll tell me, it's her. It's him. It's not me. They're not meeting my needs. They're not measuring up to my expectations. They're not meeting my needs. Or it's what's causing the fights and quarrels? It's you, boss, because you never think of the implications of the decisions you're making and how they affect me. Or you, boss, it's because you never appreciate how hard I work. It's because of you, child, because you think the world revolves around you and you think you're smarter than me, your parent. It's you, mom and dad, because you never give me any space. You try to be too controlling. It's you, grocery store clerk, who couldn't possibly be slower at checking out people's items, and I'm in a hurry. So here's what I want you to do. Turn to someone next to you right now. Everybody turn to somebody. Don't look at me. Turn to somebody next to you and say, you're the problem. You're the problem. (laughs) Now, some of you are like, man, that felt really good. That felt natural, right? That, that, That felt good. You're the problem. But what does James say? James chapter 4, verse 1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle where? Within you. Within you. James says the real reason that you have conflict is because you're not getting something that you want. You're not getting something that you desire. There is something that you thought you were entitled to or that you deserved, something that you thought should be coming your way. You had a a, a way in which you, you thought your day or week or month or year should go. You expected, and that person, that somebody, is keeping you from what you hoped or dreamed or desired or expected. Now, by the way, this, this, this conflict, these quarrels, they even happen with us, even if it's just internal or even if it's just on a superficial level. 
Um, uh, there, years ago, there was this guy who would come to the gym, and he would run on the same batch of treadmills that I would run on. And uh, so he would come in, and I got to tell you, this guy, he was a stud. I mean, I think he must have been a marathon runner or something, because he would come in, and he'd run for like an hour, and he ran hard, and he ran fast the whole time. And when you're running hard, and you're running fast, and you're going for an hour, man, you are sweating a lot. And this dude sweat all over the place. And he never brought a towel, ever. Not once. It was disgusting. (laughs) And when he was done, he would just walk away. There, on the the podium area where you kind of could hold on, you would have like the cup holders for 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 your drinks. You would see his liquid sweat puddled up. Disgusting beyond belief. There are multiple times I just wanted, I'd see him coming up and I just wanted to explode. I was so ticked off. One time uh, I went up the stairs and, and went to, to find one of the ones that I run on and they were all used up or all being used except for one of them. And as I was approaching the one, I could see the sweat everywhere, looked there and the liquid sweat just puddled up and I'm like, so help me. If that guy's in this gym right now, I'm taking him out. I was seething. I was seething. It was so disgusting. Now, what was I really mad at? Ultimately, he was keeping me from the vision that I had for me of how my workout should go. He was keeping me from, it, from uh, being on certain treadmills. That one treadmill is the only one that was open. Uh, there's no way in the world I was cleaning up his liquid sweat. I wasn't going to be a part of that. I wasn't going to go near that one. He was keeping me from my ability to work out. I walked into the gym on those days, and I was happy. I was joyful. I was excited about my day coming to work out. He was keeping me from that joy and happiness that I had, that I was experiencing. When you have conflict, James says it's because somebody is keeping you from something that you want, that you desire, that you expect, that you think you deserve, and so your anger burns against them. And James says here in verse 2, he says, you have these desires, you desire, but you do not have them, and so you kill Now, James is, of course, talking metaphorically here, just like I was with this guy when I wanted to kill him, metaphorically speaking. So James says, this rage that's in your heart comes from the fact that that person kept you from something, something you wanted. But wait a minute, Pastor, hold on here for a minute. This person, they they really did something wrong. Uh, My spouse, they really did act selfishly. This person, they really did cheat on me. They were unfaithful to me. Or this person genuinely disrespected disrespected me. This person, they actually stole from me. This person, uh, I deserve something genuinely, and they kept me from getting it. James is not denying that that might not be true. But he's saying that this rage, that this conflict that we have, that we experience, came because we had been kept from something that we think we deserve or we want. And that, James says, points to the presence of something in our hearts that actually has nothing to do with them. 
that has nothing to do with another person. And that is this, idolatry and a lack of trust in God. Idolatry and a lack of trust in God. Let me, what am I talking about? Well, let me just tell you this. If you're able to hang with me today, if you're able to, to, to track along with me today, and I hope you are, uh, this is one of those messages, I'll just be real, this will be one of those messages you might want to listen to twice or three times. Okay, so, so this is gonna, you're going to have to kind of track along with me here, and we're going to pray God does an amazing work in your life. You're able to hear it. But if you can track with me, and if you can get this right, it's going to give you the ability to prevent your relationships from going sideways. If you can grab what we're talking about today, this is going to help you. It's going to give you the ability to help uh, uh, your relationships from, from getting off track, from going sideways, to being caught up in quarrels and in fights. So I'm hoping you can track. The key word to dive in a little further is found in verse 2. And that's the word covet. Covet. James chapter 4, verse 2, it says this. Remember, verse 1, you desire to have because of these, you desire, but you don't get it. It's these desires within. And then he says, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, and so you quarrel and fight. Of course, what does it mean to covet? Some of you are like, I, covet, I don't even use that word. I've never used that word. What does it mean? It means we want something so badly. It means we desire something. It means we, we crave after something that we think is going to make us happy or content or satisfied or, or secure, and we think we can't have that happiness, contentment, satisfaction, or security without getting it. So we covet something. We desire that. It's the only way I can be happy, satisfied, content, and secure. James is talking, again, about our desires. He mentioned that in verse 1. So you have a desire for something. You have a desire for them to be on time. And, and today might have been your first day in, in six months that you've been on time to church because, you know, the time change and all that. You're like, yes, I finally. You want your spouse to be on time or, or, or you want somebody to be more thoughtful. You want that person to be less selfish. You want them to be more uh, faithful to you. You want them to be more attentive to your needs. And when those desires, those dreams, if you will, those hopes, if you will, when they become demands, when they become expectations inside of us, what they end up doing is controlling our attitudes. They control our be how we think about something, how we feel about something. It controls how we feel about somebody else. Coveting ultimately is a form or a kind of idolatry. James makes that connection for us in verse 5. What's idolatry? Idolatry is when you need something other than God to make you, to give you joy and happiness and contentment. Anything that replaces God in our life, James says that's idolatry. So when someone gets in the way of something you want, when they're in the way of that, you seethe, you rage. Resulting in quarrels and fights, you see that them, you, you punish them, you, you punish them in different ways. Maybe you punish them with silent treatment. So here's a question I want us to all think about and I want us to wrestle through. And I, I encourage you to take notes, but if you haven't been taking notes, you may want to pull out your phones and take a picture of this. Make sure you get this. I want you to be asking this question throughout the week. What do I want bad enough? 
what is it that I desire that I want bad enough that I'm actually willing to lay into somebody, to yell at someone, to tune somebody out, to disengage with somebody, to abuse somebody, or to neglect somebody in order to get that thing that I want? In other words, what is it that's stirring such a strong craving in me that's prompting me to, you know, lay into my spouse or lay into my boyfriend or my girlfriend or lay into my boss or lay into my, my, spa, my friend. What is it that causes me to want to disconnect with, from somebody or to mistreat somebody or to disregard someone else's well-being? All so that I can pursue what it is that I want, that I desire. James says, whatever it is, these point to the presence of an idol in our lives. We're coveting something, and James says, that's the real source of our conflict. That's where it comes from. James continues, and he says this. He says in verse 2, you don't have what it is you want, and here's the reason why. Because you're not asking God. In other words, you've made the wrong, I've made the wrong person responsible for our needs. We're looking for somebody else other than God to supply our needs. We're looking for somebody else to meet our needs or our desires rather than asking and seeking God. One speaker asked it this way of us. He said this, has it ever occurred to you that you're not getting what you crave because you're trying to squeeze it out of someone who doesn't have it to give. Man, what a great question. For example, you, you want control. You want respect. You want significance or satisfaction or approval or belonging. And so you go looking for that, and you go hunting that down and looking for that and others to meet those desires and needs that you have. Think about this for those of you who are married. Even though marriage was created by God, and even though it was celebrated in the beginning in the presence of God himself, even though it's the highest and happiest of all human relationships, your spouse still cannot meet the deepest needs of your soul. Even your marriage can't meet all your needs. It was never designed to. And so if you depend on somebody else for all of your needs, that relationship ultimately, eventually, it will crumble under you. Has it ever occurred to you that you're not getting what you craved because you're trying to squeeze it out of somebody who doesn't have it to give? So, when we ask, when we seek something, when we ask for somebody, whether out loud or just internally, if we ask someone else, if we seek someone else to meet our need, ultimately, they will let us down. When they disappoint us, when they let us down, what do we do? James says we rage. We start, the rage starts within. It eventually oozes out, maybe leaks out, or gets very overt, and we take it out on them. So I want to ask you again. I want you to think about this. What do you want bad enough? What do you desire bad enough that you are willing to lay into someone, to yell at someone, to mistreat someone, to tune someone out, to disengage with someone, to abuse someone, or neglect someone in order to get what it is that you want or desire? Whatever it is, James says it points to the presence of an idol in our life. An idol is something that has taken the place 
of God in our life and in our heart. So what is it for you? I hope that's something that you will just, some of you might know the answer right now. Some of you, you're going to be praying about that and thinking about that this week. And James, he gives us a tough message. Again, this is one of those messages you're going to want to listen to a couple times this week. And just when we think, okay, James, man, you just stuck the knife in. I mean, this is brutal. Just when you think it was enough, James is like, no, 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 no. I stuck the knife in, but now I'm going to twist it. And I want you to notice what he says next. He says in verse 2, you don't have because you don't ask. And then he says in verse 3, when you do ask, you do not receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. In other words, if or when you're like, okay, fine, I haven't gone to God. All right, fine, I'm going to go to God. When you finally do to go to God, James says, uh, you ask him. James says, you're not going to get it. Why? Because you're asking God to be your own personal genie. Here's what I want, God. Here's what I need. And I need this, God, and I need you to provide this in order to satisfy me, my desires, my passions, my pleasures, whatever it is. I need you, genie God, to provide that for me. And James says, when that's the case, the next verse, here, notice what he calls us. He says, you're adulterous people. Man, that is a strong metaphor there. James is saying that you ask God to meet your needs, but he's not going to do it. He's not going to answer it. Why? Because you're praying like an adulterer. You're like, I don't pray like an adulterer. James said, yeah, you are. So how do you and I, how do we pray like an adulterer? Well, what's, what's adultery? Adultery is when a spouse seeks out another person to meet their romantic, emotional, or physical, or sexual needs for intimacy. That's what adultery is. It's essentially saying to our spouse, you're not enough. I need someone else to meet my needs. Spiritual adultery, then, is when we seek out happiness, security, significance, or anything or anyone else other than seeking that out in God. Keep in mind that adultery is is used in the Bible often as a metaphor, and it's used in the Bible often as a metaphor for idolatry. For idolatry. Spiritual adultery is when we look to something or someone else for what we should be looking for to and finding in God. So, if you, if I, if we're asking God for something and, man, I'm not going to be able to be happy or content or emotionally balanced unless I get that, unless God answers the way I want him to answer, James says, you're praying like an adulterer. You're asking God to be complicit in your idolatry. God, I need a raise. Nothing wrong with praying that, right? It's okay to pray for that. But the problem is when you think that without that raise, you can't be happy. You can't be satisfied. You can't be content. God, please fix my spouse. Make them more attentive to my needs. I'm not going to be able to experience and live a full and happy life until they're different. God, I need to make this team. 
God, I need to get this award. God, I need to get into this school. God, I need to get this job or this promotion because I'm not going to feel good about myself or I'm not going to feel significant unless I do or unless I get it. God, I need a boyfriend or a girlfriend. God, I, I need a marriage. I need a spouse. Because without that relationship, I won't feel complete. And I'm going to feel and be lonely. And God says, you adulterer, you're asking me to supply in someone else something that you should be finding in me. You should be able to find your joy, your peace, your contentment your security, your satisfaction. You should be able to find that, God says, in me and in me alone. It's not that God says you can't have those things. It's not that those aren't valid, but not at the expense of having God be the one we find our satisfaction in. Our anger towards others, our anger sometimes towards God, James says, ultimately comes down to idolatry. You didn't walk in here today thinking, hey, we're going to talk about, you know, uh, how to resolve conflict. You didn't walk in here today thinking it was going to be related to, you know, idolatry. I can guarantee that. Or adultery. You didn't, that didn't cross your mind. But that's what God's word says. We seek to get our needs and our desires through a, through a person, through a job, through a hobby, through a relationship. And when we seek those in any way other than through God, when we want that or them or that thing to meet our expectations and it doesn't measure up because it never does, we end up in conflict. God is the only one who can be on the throne of our hearts. So, what's the solution? What do I do with this? If this is, if, if there's idolatry inside of me and, and God's even calling me an adulterer at times, when I'm praying for things that I want and it's about what's going to make me happy and fulfill my needs, what's not my solution? First and most critical is that we humble ourselves. James chapter 4 verse 10 says, humble yourself before the Lord and he'll lift you up. Humble yourself before the Lord. Now, that phrase, the idea of being humble, we see that throughout scripture. So what does that mean to humble yourself? You got to understand the context we're talking about, right? So what's our context? To humble ourselves in this context means we acknowledge God might have a good reason to actually withhold something from you that you want or think you need or desire. God might have a good reason for that. Psalm 84.11 says this. It gives us this amazing promise. It says, the Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right, from those whose walk is blameless. And seriously, think about what this means. Track with me on this. It means that if something is truly good for us, this verse says God's going to give it to us. God's going to supply it to us. God's not going to withhold any good thing from those whose walk is upright, whose walk is blameless, whose walk is right before the Lord. So it stands to reason, of course, if something is being withheld from you, from being withheld from me, ultimately ultimately it means it's not good for me. It's not good for you, or at least not right now, it's not good for you. James says to humble yourself because you don't always know what's best for your life. If you have kids, you know it's true for them. They don't know what's best for their life when they're kids. 
But it's true of us as well. We have a heavenly father and he looks at us and he knows our life better than we do. To humble ourselves means we recognize we don't always know what's best for our life. Humble yourself because you serve a sovereign Lord. You serve a risen Savior. He's guiding you. He's directing you. And he will withhold no good thing before you if your walk is upright and blameless before him. So here's a humble posture I'd encourage you to take before God. You come before God humbly. And you say, you pray something to the effect of, God, I thought I needed the win. God, I thought I needed the raise. God, I thought I needed the acceptance. God, I thought I needed the healed body. God, I thought I needed the relationship. But God, you didn't give it to me. You haven't given it to me. So God, I recognize, I humbly come before you recognizing you must have a better plan. You must have a different plan for me. Now, I get it. I understand the hardest thing for you and I to do is to trust God when life doesn't go the way we want or doesn't go the way we expect. I get that. Heather and I, um, our first ministry, we, uh, I served as a youth pastor in Napa. And uh, I got to tell you, uh, our time there, our church, everything, we just absolutely loved it. Heather and I loved the community we love the staff, we love the people, we love the students, we love the leaders that, 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 that God brought our way. And I got to tell you, we never wanted to leave Napa. We thought, man, we're going to be here the, the rest of our life. But God had a different plan. And so after almost six years, our season of ministry came to an end in Napa. Uh, in, uh, and weirdly enough, it was Heather and I who actually made the decision to have that come to an end. But God's plan didn't, at the time, it didn't make sense to us at all. Not at all. In fact, I can remember we would go back from time to time and we would visit our friends there. These people we built these amazing relationships with. Friends that we still have to this day. And I got to tell you, as we would come into Napa and and drive to the the canyon there and come over the, the big bridge that looks into the Napa Valley, I can remember those early times we would do that. And man, there was just this pit in my stomach. And man, it hurt, and it was painful to actually go visit our friend. There was a lot of pain there. We were angry. But it was God's plan for us to leave. Because us leaving Napa was the catalyst that God used so that we could eventually start LifePoint. In fact, I can remember we were uh, getting ready to start LifePoint. We were very early in the process. And, and God gave us the opportunity to go back to Napa. And we're like, yeah, this is a place we never want to leave. You know what? This is it. God gave us that opportunity. I'm confident that life point would never have happened if God didn't take us out of Napa. This, all that God has done, the hundreds, the thousands of lives that have been impacted, lives that have been saved, lives that have been changed, here and literally in different pockets and places around the world. None of this would have happened if God didn't take us out of Napa. But I can tell you this, at the time, it made zero sense at all. It made no sense to us what God was doing. Have you ever been there? You ever been in those kind of scenarios? And you're like, God, I don't get it, and I don't see it at all. Don't ever lose sight of Isaiah 55. 
which says, for just as the heavens are higher than the earth, God says this, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So will you humble yourself and trust God even when God's ways are literally opposite of your ways or your plans? Will you humble yourself and trust that God is not going to withhold any good thing from those who love him, who walk with him, which means that you and I, we admit to God, God, you might have a good reason to withhold something that I think I want or think I need or think I desire. And I admit it, God, and I recognize it. In other words, James says, verse 7, you submit to God. You submit to God. You trust God. I trust in God. I submit to you. There's another way to humble ourselves before the Lord, and that's admitting that this idolatry that's in our hearts, it's a major contributor to our conflicts. It's a contributor, a big contributor to the conflicts and the quarrels that we have with others. Even if the other person is at fault, the reason that we're actually so angry The reason that we rage within, which oozes out, leaks out, or comes out overtly, the reason we struggle with bitterness is because our hearts has latched on to something other than God that you think is necessary to give you joy, peace, satisfaction, security, or significance. So admit it to yourself. Confess it to God. Admit it to God. This is what James is actually meaning when he says this in verse 8. Notice what he says. He says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve and mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. He's saying before you allow your anger to grow, before you allow what's starting to happen inside of you to, to get out, before you lay into someone, If you, if I, if we're going to humble ourselves before God, if we're going to submit to God, then we're going to look in the mirror and we're going to say, I'm the problem, not you. It's me and not you. It's me and not you. Admit it. Confess it to God. When appropriate, confess it to the person as well, of course. Confess, but confess your part in the conflict. Confess it to God, and at times you even confess it to the person. And some of you say, whoa, pastor, what are you, nuts? You actually want me to admit my part in the problem? If I do that, I might lose leverage here. Man, if I admit that I have some ownership in this, I might lose the lofty perch that I sit on when I want to bring up their offenses and the stuff that they've done. James says, Deal with your own junk first. Deal with your own heart first. Deal with the the idolatry in your heart. Don't focus on being vindicated. Don't focus on losing leverage. Again, as James said, James 4.10, humble yourself before the Lord. What's the second part of the passage? It says this, and he will lift you up. He's going to lift you up when you humble yourself. He's going to vindicate you. Not the other person. God handles it. So you and I, we just admit where we're wrong. And then we trust God with the rest. And I'm telling you, this is the game changer. This is what changes 
everything in the realm of our conflicts, our fights, and our quarrels. More than anything else, this is it. You can go on to chat GPT and you can type in, you know, what's the, how, how do we handle our problems? And I did that and it gave me 11 solutions in like two seconds. And those are great and those are good and that's great. But here's what God says. And I trust in God's way more than somebody else's way. This is the key that unlocks the door. When one person in the conflict is humble before God, confesses before God, even confesses before the other, when you do your part and you confess, especially confess before the other, it often, not always, but it often opens up them to admit their part. Your humble admission to having a part in the conflict That's what moves you down the road of reconciliation and restoration. But if you're going to sit, if you're going to wait for them, if you're going to dig in rather than humbly admit your part, listen, you're missing out on the healing power of God in your life. You'll just miss out. Now, as a side note and kind of an asterisk that needs to be said, there are certain people who are skilled manipulators. Okay, so what do I mean by that? They're the ones who who use gaslighting, who use victim shaming to cover up their abusive and manipulative behaviors. And so they're always trying to make you feel like their abuse, their sin. They're always trying to make it feel like that's your fault. But I'm not talking about that. If you're in that kind of situation, man, you've got to go see a Christian counselor immediately. Seriously. But what I am talking about is in the context of, you know, kind of like normal conflict that we all experience. So here's my question. Would you be willing to give it a try? To look in the mirror? Say, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. It's me. It's not them. Would you be willing that anytime you're mad, Anytime you feel the rage starting to seethe within you, the bitterness in your heart, that you'd be willing to look in the mirror and ask some questions to go before God and say, God, what are these angry emotions revealing about or covering up that's inside of me deep down? What am I yearning for? What am I desiring? God, show me. What am I coveting? What am I angry at them for not providing? What idolatry in my heart is this? Does this conflict that I'm experiencing, what does it point to? What is it that I want bad enough? That I desire bad enough? That I'm willing to lay into someone, yell at them, or to disengage with them, or to tune them out, or to abuse them? or to neglect them, or to be bitter towards somebody, even for years. What do I want to get out of them that they're not providing? Your pride, my pride, always makes conflict 10 times worse. So no matter how long the conflict's gone on, no matter how intense it's been, no matter the severity, and no matter the subject, The solution, James says, James 4.10, is to humble yourself. Humble yourself. Humble yourself, and he will lift you up. And let's always remember, 
what James said when he quoted Proverbs 3. He said in verse 6, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Let me just ask you a question, and I want you to answer this audibly. Do you want God on your side? Because if you want God on your side, especially in a conflict, then humble yourself. But man, if you want God as your enemy, dig in. You want God as your enemy, be proud. Seek and worry about vindication. God opposes, the verse says, the proud, but gives grace to the humble. To the humble he lifts up. To the humble he exalts. So what about you? Would you be willing, as I close, to do what James said? James chapter 4, verse 8. Come near to God, and he'll come near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Find your satisfaction. Find your contentment. Find your security, your safety, your significance in the arms of your heavenly Father because he is the only one who can fulfill those needs, desires that we have. God is the one who can set you free of your idolatry and your coveting. And those you love and care about, they then won't have to suffer the effects of your idolatrous heart. Would you draw near to God today? Because if you do, he'll draw near you. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.